Hi, this is Christian Gunnar Urban Village Church in Chicago. Welcome back to my podcast, everyone. Hope you have had a good week. It is a cloudy day here in Chicago, but uh, I hope that you are doing well wherever you are. We are in the midst of a really great sermon series that I'm enjoying a lot called Unplug, and we're particularly focusing on the Sabbath and how do we um, acknowledge and recognize and actually commemorate and celebrate the Sabbath. So, especially in this society that um, works really hard to make sure that we are constantly busy and filling our head with things. So today we're going to be reading from the book of Genesis. This is the starting with chapter 1, verse 27, and we'll go through chapter 2, verse 3. This is part of the first creation story that we read in the scriptures. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, See, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished in all their multitude. And on the seventh day God finished the work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. May God's blessing be on the reading and living out of this word. So whenever I take on a project, um, whether it is doing my best to attempt something at home, around the home, so for example, about a couple of weeks ago, my son and I uh, put together a new gas grill, uh, or something like cooking, which my wife does the vast majority of in our home, but every once in a while I do myself, I find it really, really helpful to have a list of instructions. I mean, a really specific list of instructions. Step by step, here is what you do. Again, particularly when it's things that I'm not as practiced in, like uh, doing handiwork around the house or cooking. So the other night, my wife was at our daughter's volleyball game and it was getting later, and so she texted me to let me know what her original plans had been for dinner. She was going to make bratwurst. We we're going to grill bratwurst on the grill, and uh, she texted me saying they're going to be late. So, if I could, if I could start that, and then I think perhaps because my wife knows me well and my desire for point by point instructions. Now, I do know how to grill brats on a grill, but she texted me and said, this is a direct quote from the text, I was going to cook the brats in beer first. One bottle should do it. We, had, we have these larger bottles of beer. One bottle should do it, then finish on the grill. And as I read these texts, it is sad. It is sad. My responses. So I texted back to her saying, just pour the beer into a pan and heat up. And she texted back, yes. They'll be ready for the grill when they aren't pink. And I almost texted her back saying, like, well, how high should the heat be? This is like 
about as simple as boiling water. And in my head, I kept thinking, I don't want to screw it up. But I didn't text back. Like, I think I can handle this. And I did. The brats were fine. They were actually very good. But I thought about instructions and following instructions. When I thought about the sermon series that I mentioned, and when I thought about Sabbath, because I think it's really important sometimes when we talk in general terms about spiritual practices like keeping Sabbath, but we just say things in general terms. And particularly if people aren't used to certain spiritual practices like keeping Sabbath, it can be helpful to say, well, how do I actually keep Sabbath? How do I honor it? How do I make the most out of this blessed day that God has given to us? Particularly in our society, last week I talked about the Ten Commandments, and if there's ever going to be a commandment that people fudge on, it's keeping the Sabbath. Despite the specific call, the expanded call in those Ten Commandments to honor the Sabbath. So, but the good question is, what do you do? What do you do on the Sabbath? It used to be, many years ago, a day when everything shut down. And Sabbath, if you went to church, it meant really essentially having no fun. There were no stores open. You were expected to just sit around and be bored. This is particularly in the history of our country. Alexis de Tocqueville, who is a French, was a fit French diplomat in political science and uh, a writer, had visited the United States in 1840, and he wrote of the Christian Sabbath, not only have all ceased to work, but they appear to have ceased to exist because people just shut themselves off and didn't allow themselves to do anything. I don't think when we talk about keeping Sabbath, that's what we're talking about. But again, I think it's helpful for us to really explore, well, how do we actually do this? Well, I think it's important, of course, to take a cue from God, to begin to give us some tasks, perhaps, if you need some instructions, a model for us on how to keep Sabbath. So we read in Genesis today, again, this sixth day of creation, but I think it's perhaps helpful to real quickly talk about the series of events that happens. If you read through Genesis 1, and you may notice then, again, here's a review of what happens. So on the first day, God creates heavens, earth, light and darkness. Big day, day one. Day two, Genesis tells us, God creates the dome, a dome in the midst of the waters that God calls sky, or it's called sky. Day three, there's organization happening. So waters are gathered in one place, dry land appears, and there's more naming. So earth and sea vegetation begins too. Now after the third day, that's the first time that we read the phrase, perhaps that you know, and God saw that it was good. This happens on the third day. Fourth day, now there are lights in the sky, sun and moon and stars. And after the fourth day, the text tells us, and God saw that it was good. Fifth day, living creatures, particularly from the seas, sea monsters and birds. Again, after that, God saw that it was good. And now, after the sixth day, more living creatures, cattle and creeping things and humans. This day gets two goods in verse 25 and then in verse 31. Let me read verse 31 one more time. So after God has worked and created for six six days, and then it says, verse 31, God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. And And then it transitions into the finishing of creation, and on the seventh day, God finishes and God rests. But I think... Verse 31 is a really important verse to focus on. 
after all of this work that God has done, God has already stopped in the midst of it and notices that things are good. But after the six days, after everything has been created, there are, there's, there's a word that's added. You probably caught it. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was not just good, very good. I think it's important to note that reflection is a prelude to Sabbath. God sees everything that God has made, and indeed, it is very good. So not just reflection, not just looking back on what has been done, but also delight. Delight. Two other versions of verse 31, I think, capture this even more. The Common English Bible says this about verse 31. God saw everything that he had made. It was supremely good. There was evening and there was morning the sixth day. The message translation of the Bible says this. God looked over everything that he had made. It was so good, so very good. It was evening, it was morning, day six. I think both of these translations particularly get into this, not just reflection on what God has created, but the delight that God takes in what has happened here. Supremely good. So good, so very good. God, I think here, is delighting. And delighting is the prelude to Sabbath. And delighting, I think, is something for when we think about the Sabbath and what can we do, what are the instructions, how do we keep Sabbath? Delighting is something that we should put at the top of our list. How do we, or that we are called to delight? So then the good question is, well, how how does one delight? Is there a manual for how to delight? Well, delight, the dictionary tells us delight is a verb. It says to give great joy or pleasure to, to be highly pleased. And as a noun, it says delight is great joy and pleasure. Again, notice the extra words in this definition of what delight is. To give great joy, to be highly pleased. Just like those extra words in verse 31. Very good. Supremely good. So good, so very good. Delight takes happiness, contentment, and ramps it up just a little bit. For those of you who are fans of the movie Spinal Tap, this is maybe an inside joke for those of you who have seen it. it this is turning things up to 11. And so I think when we think of, when we reflect on how is it that we actually keep Sabbath, delighting should be at the top of our list. So why? Why delight? Do we do it just because God does? And I think we need to reflect on that. Perhaps God sees the work that God has done. God knows the necessity of rest. God knows the necessity of delighting. But also perhaps we delight not just because God delights in creation, but also because God delights in us. There are a few examples from the Psalms that speak about God's delight in us. Here's one. God brought me out into a broad place. God delivered me because God delighted in me. That's Psalm 1819. Let me read that again. God brought me out into a broad place. God delivered me because God delighted in me. God delights not just in the creation, but after humankind, God creates humankind. God delights in that. God delights in you. God delights in me. In the midst of the things that we do when we follow God's 
commands and God desires for us, but even when we stray, even when we sin, not that God delights in those things, but God still delights in the essence of who we are, and that doesn't change. And I think there's a loving gaze, there's a loving gaze, like a, a parent who sees a child do something remarkable. Now, we have all, either on social media or we've heard from friends of ours who have children for the first time, and something happens to a parent when their child does very simple things, like uh, begins to coo, make faces, begins to walk, is potty trained, all of these things. And as a parent, you like, this is a miracle. I have delighted. Now, others may think, well, yeah, it's been done before, But as a parent, there's a particular kind of joy, a particular kind of delight in what your child has done. And it's the same thing that happens when God sees us and delights in us. I have this vivid memory in my mind uh, when I ran track in high school. And I ran, usually in track, I ran more distance races, so like the mile and two mile. And I remember this particular race and it was night. It was a, a night meet, and um, I had run in this race, and I was a, I was pretty sure if I'm remembering correctly, I was a sophomore. And there were three uh, guys who were at least 100 meters ahead of me in the, in the this is the 3,200 meters, so the two-mile run. And so we're running and running, and I was in a pack behind uh, these three top runners. So there was me and two other guys. So we were battling out for essentially fourth, fifth, and sixth. So that group of three guys won, one of them won, and then the first, second, and third, and then I came up, but I was able, I ran a a good race, and I was kind of neck and neck with these three guys, and I was able to get ahead of this pack that I was in, so I got fourth place, fourth place, so not necessarily that you would think anything great that anyone has done here, but I remember distinctly, my dad, uh, and there weren't a ton of people at this track meet, but I remember my dad coming down from out of the stands and coming into the infield. And he had this huge smile on his face because of the way I had run that race. I got, a, I got fourth place. And yet the look, it was pride. And I think also just delight in the way that he looked at me. And that has just been emblazoned in my memory. And I think it's the same whenever we are children and we see something when our parents delight in us and we remember that. And that's what God does. God delights in who we are. And hopefully then that compels us then to return that delight in God and all that God has done for us. Because God delights in us, then we should take time. We should be deliberate about taking time in delighting in who God is and what God has done for us too. It's a really great quote from the book, The Color Purple, the character by Alice Walker and the character Shug Avery says, I think it pisses God off when you walk by the color purple in a field somewhere and don't notice it. This sense of all that God has created for us to delight in and we ignore it and we think we're too busy and we don't take the time to do that. The Psalms, again, compel us, command us, encourage us to do this. Psalm 37, 4 says this, Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. When's the last time you've really been attentive to and pay particular attention to delighting? Sabbath is a wonderful time to do that. Now, the challenge of Sabbath, if you aren't experienced with keeping it or in delighting, is that it can be daunting. I talked with a couple this week at Urban Village, and they tried, after the sermon last Sunday, they tried really hard to do it. And after they read and they kind of hung around and they, after about two or three hours or a few hours, one of them who's just, who really is into working said, I can't take it anymore. 
But I think easing into keeping Sabbath, easing into into delighting is a really uh, can be a good thing rather than assuming that I'm just going to now delight for 24 hours on the Sabbath. A really great book if you ever want a primer on how to delight and a really just on faith in general is called An Altar in the World by Barbara Brown Taylor. And in this book, uh, there's a chapter on keeping Sabbath and saying no, but also there is a chapter on paying attention to God. And something that Barbara Brown Taylor talks about, an exercise that I think one can do on the Sabbath, but it's also an exercise in paying attention. And she says this, this is an excerpt from her book. She says, first she talks about going outside near somewhere where there's water and just spend 20 minutes just observing all that is around you. And then she writes this, if you cannot go outside, then find a pencil and a piece of paper and spend 20 minutes drawing your hand. Be sure you get the freckles right, the number of wrinkles around each knuckle you are old, marvel at what has happened to your skin. If you are young, find your lifeline. Pay attention to the scars if you have them. On my left hand alone, I can see the gray shadow left by the pencil lead that broke off in my palm when I was nine. There was also a pale ellipse at the top of my index finger from a sewing accident in 1974. I was watching television at the time when my program was interrupted for a special announcement from the White House. When Richard Nixon resigned, I was so stupefied that I cut off the end of my finger with my sewing scissors. And that's the end of the excerpt. I I love that because that's a really, if we, again, if we want the instructions about how do we delight, how do we keep Sabbath, that's a really good place to start. Take 20 minutes this week, either go near a body of water and just be there, draw your hand and marvel, delight at who you are and who who God has created you to be. Now, I must confess that sometimes it is a little bit of a challenge in me to delight. I think when I thought about it this week, I thought, you know, I do like, I do a little bit of delight. I I D or I deli, right? Sometimes I, people who know me know I'm a little bit more reserved and not necessarily somebody who's going to effuse uh, excitement and, and energy. Um, and sometimes it's, uh, I don't, I'm not as intentional about, about delighting. So I've been practicing it, not just on the Sabbath, but the, even this week and even the last few weeks, I've been practicing delighting and noticing and paying attention to things in the midst when they happen. And the wonderful thing about delighting is if, you are, if you're a serious person too, if you're serious about wanting to do serious things of the faith, work for justice and make sure that all are equal and, um, uh, and prayer and, and praying for those and being with those who are sick and serious stuff. Delighting, I think, helps us in those other, quote unquote, more serious things in living out our faith too. That's what I've found anyway. So here's an example, and I'm doing better at paying attention and noticing delight in the midst of when it's happening. So about a month ago, I was I spoke at a conference here in the Chicago area, and the co-founder of Urban Village, Trey Hall, was in town too. He was here to do some consulting. He now lives in England, but he was here doing some consulting and was also speaking with me along with Brittany Isaac, one of our pastors at Urban Village at this conference. And so Trey and I, um, because he lives in England, obviously we don't spend as much time with each other anymore. And so we had a, a long lunch break. One of the places of holy ground for me in Evanston, I lived in Evanston for six years, is a place called Al's Deli. It's on the uh, kind of near the Northwestern campus. It's right around the corner from where my wife and I lived. And I loved Al's Deli. And so we walked, it's about a half mile walk from downtown Evanston to Al's Deli. So we walked. It was a, a warm day. This was in August. 
But I remember on the walk to Al's Deli, there was just a sense of delighting. Evanston is just a beautiful community. And so I was finding myself delighting in the walk, delighting in the conversation. And then we waited in line. And it's a long wait at Al's Deli. They are, if you want fast food, if you want fast service at Al's, you better go elsewhere. But when you walk in, the space is just, it feels like a deli. And they uh, every day write what the menu is on a chalkboard. And so you wait in line and you're, again, I've just found myself delighting in the smells and the sights and the people who are waiting in line with us. And then when we got, and I ordered this sandwich on a baguette, um, the, the two brothers who, runs, who run Al's Deli are kind of Francophiles, so it has a very French feel to it. And we ordered our sandwiches. And I also ordered, they, every day they make these huge chocolate chip cookies. So I had to get a chocolate chip cookie and an iced tea. And then there's really not many places to sit down in the deli. So we walked across the street and we just sat on this park bench and the sun was blazing down on it. It was warm, but we were, it was eating this great sandwich, eating the cookie and sharing the cookie with Trey and this conversation. And I just, in that moment, I could feel myself delighting. This is not necessarily one of those moments, burning bush moments in the faith where you just know that God, or, or it's, it's a notable time in your life when you can look back, say, oh, there was, God was there because this amazing, huge thing happened to me. This was kind of a run-of-the-mill day. I mean, especially because Trey was there, and I'll remember it perhaps probably because I spoke at this conference, but it wasn't necessarily anything remarkable. We went for a walk. It was a warm day. We waited in line. We had lunch. And yet, there was something that happened in the midst of it, and I recognized it, and I knew this is something I need to delight in, because it is good. It is not just good. It is supremely good. It is so good, so very good. In the midst of it, I, was, I just was overwhelmed at gratitude to God. Friends, when we delight, we realize we worship and we're created by a good God. We delight in a God who first delights in us. We get out of ourselves. We get out of our heads, which is so easy to just spend time in our heads and get anxious and stressed and get down on ourselves and all the other other stuff. But when we delight, that takes us out of ourselves. And we delight in who God is and what God has given to us. It takes practice. And sometimes we forget on the day-to-day to to delight. And so why it's important for us to spend Sabbath, to just delight. And again, it may not come easily to you or for you, and it may require an instruction manual. You may need to literally take out that pencil and that paper and draw your hand 20 minutes, do it, and then delight in who you are. But, We are called, commanded to delight. So let us do so. Let us take that intentional time to do so, all the while knowing of how much God delights in us. Amen. Well, thank you once again for listening, friends. It always pleases me when I hear from you saying that uh, you're listening and that you enjoy the podcast. So um, always feel free to reach out to me. Urban Village Church or Chris at urbanvillagechurch.org 
and Twitter. I'm at Christian Kuhn. Find me also on Facebook and uh, Instagram. In any kind of way that you want to communicate, I'm happy to respond. But until next week, may the God who delights in you move you to delight in the world and who you are to be to go in peace to love and serve the world. I 